The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Thank you for joining Restoration Radio. I am your host, Stephen Heiner. I have as my guest tonight His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. And we're going to take a first look at the newest uh, claimant to the post-Vatican II papacy, um, Francis. And it's not Francis I. You have to have a second in order to be called the first. So he's just Pope Francis to the secular media and uh, the rest of uh the rest of the post-Vatican II Church. Um, our show today is sponsored by uh, Novus Ordo Watch, Habend Papam. They have a pope. As the Vatican II Church elects its sixth anti-pope, go to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic information on the recent events in Rome. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting the new religion with the true religion the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why the new Pope is not a true Pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. NovusOrdoWatch.org. Well, Your Excellency, Father, thank you for joining me today. We've had, we've had quite a week of work, haven't we? Yes, we sure have. <laughs> So, so you two weren't uh, excitedly watching a, a chimney this week, were you? No, we were too busy, actually. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, with a certain sense, I mean, you want to see uh, what's going to go on. I mean, but we're, we weren't uh, watching it to say Viva Il Papa, let's put it that way. It was uh, really a curiosity to see which direction things were going to take among the modernists. And obviously, obviously, that's the interest. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a significant event, no matter what you think of him, one way or another. Uh, just by the fact that there are so many people who look to him as 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 their leader. One of the things that we we talked about today um, in preparation for the show was that uh, this um, this candidate was ordained in the 1969. Ordinal, and we knew enough time would pass after Vatican II to get us to this point one day. What are the implications of him being ordained in 1969? Well, the um, Paul VI, as part of the uh, post-Vatican II changes, uh, actually legislated by the Second Vatican Council, uh, changed the rights for the conferral of holy orders. Specifically, he uh, changed the right for ordination to the diaconate, ordination to the priesthood, and for the Episcopal consecration. And he uh, changed them in uh, such a way to compromise the, uh, the validity of those rights, particularly the, right of, uh, the new right of Episcopal consecration, which I've, I've written on uh, myself, and then uh, along with that, the uh, form for the new rite of uh, priestly ordination. So what this means is that uh, the man who is elected by the conclave is uh, not only uh, a doubtful bishop, but also a doubtful priest. 
uh, he, that is to say, as a result of this, this uh, change in the, the sacramental form, that uh, he may not possess uh, the power of holy orders. And obviously that's a, uh, uh, that's a terrible thing. The non-bishop of Rome. Well, and that's something, a theme that uh, he's, he's brought up himself. I think, uh, Your Excellency, you, you noticed that in some of his early words, is the, the emphasis on the idea of Bishop of Rome as opposed to uh, Pope. And, of course, you know, we could say, you know, as far as the Church teaches, there's, there's no difference in his authority. But what, why do you think that might be a, a point of interest, or is it nothing? Oh, no, it's very significant because it was repeated so much, uh, and that has never been done before. Uh, um, the, uh, the, that many cardinals did not come together to select a bishop of a diocese of, as if it were the diocese of Squidunk, Illinois. Uh, this, uh, they come together in order to pick the head of the whole church, and because St. Peter, who was the head of the whole church, died in Rome, Rome is the vehicle of this universal jurisdiction that the Pope receives. Uh, so Bishop of Rome is a very, in a way, secondary consideration to his role. He, he's elected as, as the universal pastor of the whole church with supreme jurisdiction and immediate jurisdiction over everyone in the whole church, transcending all the dioceses of the world. And uh, so for him to be talking about Bishop of Rome as if he has a new, uh, a, a new diocese is uh, very bizarre, and it is very ecumenical, because the, it will please the Anglicans to hear him say Bishop of Rome. It will pr please the Greek Orthodox to hear him say Bishop of Rome, because they have no trouble with Bishop of Rome. What they have trouble with is a, uh, someone with universal jurisdiction over the whole church, and it is uh, curious to note also that he referred to Ratzinger as the former Bishop of Rome. Now, we've been hearing retired Pope and Pope Emeritus, but this is, to call him the former Bishop of Rome as if he were the former Bishop of Squidunk it is, is very, very significant, I think. Uh, you can see the uh, ecumenist in him right away. Uh, yes, it, you, it's a you, big shift. You pay attention to the language that he uses, and uh, it was evident from a number of other things connected with his little uh, walkout onto the loggia there that uh, he was trying to uh, convey a message. But the uh, the business of the uh, uh, the bishop of Rome is not only uh, an appealing from the point of view of humanism to. Uh, Protestants to Anglicans to uh, schismatic Orthodox, but also to the uh, real dyed-in-the-wool adepts of the new theology, the the modernists within the conciliar establishment, who uh, constantly try to uh, play down the notion that, uh, according to Catholic teaching, the Pope is supposed to have universal ordinary jurisdiction. So uh, my way of looking at it is that it was a really big deal, and it's uh, an ecumenical and a theological message. Yes, and I think it's a, a purposeful dim diminishing of the papacy. It's really a, a big step. I think you can see the fact that it was said so many times. It's a purposeful diminishing of the papacy 
and uh, it is uh, to to uh, uh, please the the uh, the non-Catholics. Uh, uh, Ratzinger gave a speech uh, in the 1990s uh, to the uh, to Protestants in Rome, where he said, "I really don't know what the papacy will be like in the future. Uh, who knows what it will become?" And I, I, you can see, I think, in this move, uh, uh, definitely an evolution. There's been an evolutionary leap. Uh, now, I saw um, Cardinal Dolan talking about this man, and he was talking about this Bishop of Rome stuff. You'd never heard this before from people who just elected a pope. I mean, he did talk about the pope, too, but this, this you know, we elected this Bishop of Rome, and uh, it was just very odd. And then he goes to the uh, the Church of uh, of St. Mary Major to visit the Salus Populi Romani, which is very nice. But again, you can see this emphasis on Rome, as if this is the limitation of his power, and, and uh, that that he, uh, he a lot of comments were made by him about you know assuming the the leadership of Rome, uh, as if it were just another diocese. And what what, what to my way of thinking, ties it in a little more to the ecumenical uh, aspect of it, is uh, his uh, statement of the Logia, where uh, he says to the people, let's uh, start that journey which leads all the churches in charity, of of, uh, uh, fraternity, of love, of trust, all the churches. I mean, you would never have heard... Uh, someone like Pius XII say something like that. So we're getting uh, it's it's like uh, ecumenical code words that uh, that are being used. Yeah, he is uh, definitely an ecumenical maniac. You can tell from his activities in Buenos Aires. Yeah, I was going to say some people might say, Your Excellency Father, you know, he's not a real media savvy guy. This is his first couple days. Give him a break. You guys are just reading into the tea leaves. Um, but uh, as, as, as you say, uh, the mate leaves. The mate leaves. He's the mate yeah, leaves. Yes, that's their equivalent of tea leaves down there. So yes, it's, it's quite good. But um, as you say, it isn't a matter of reading the mate leaves of today. He's actually got a long history, and, and that's the thing: is in the in the media age, you can't have a, a stealth candidate anymore. Uh, we know everything about you, uh, even just 24 hours after you assume a command. And um, we have all sorts of ecumenical initiatives. Um, in fact, I think one of, the, one of the most interesting things we, we saw today was that um, he got a very warm welcome from Benai Briss, uh, sent out a, uh, a congratulatory email. And, um, and, and he invited the uh, head rabbi of Rome to the inauguration on the 19th. Yes, uh, but I don't think Benedict will be attending. Interestingly <laughs> enough, um, but uh, the, uh, the 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 ex bishop of Rome, uh, yes, whatever he, he yeah. might be called, but um, also Radio Christianidad, which I'll, I'll send a, a post a link to on Twitter, uh, made a note of a, a prayer, and he's he's done some not just with with the Jewish people, but with other religions. But in a particular prayer, he referred to um, asking for the help of his elder brothers in the faith, um, which, of course, we know that phrase. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not um, an ancient phrase in, in Catholic tradition. It's a, it's a novel one. Where have we heard elder brothers in the faith before, Your Excellency and Father? Uh, John Paul II, uh, who said uh, that the uh, Jews are, are 
are our elder brothers in the faith, uh, and which is uh, an insult to our Lord Jesus Christ because the object of our faith is the divinity and messiah, messianic dignity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to say that, uh, you know, they, uh, therefore they have the faith and actually are our elder brothers in the faith uh, is an insult to Roman Catholicism and to the dogma of the divinity of Christ. Uh, so to you, you can see uh, very much of this man is is heavily into ecumenism with the Jews. Uh, he has uh, many many contacts in his past with the Jews. He's lighting menorahs. He's uh, engaging in uh, the celebration of Hanukkah in a Jewish synagogue. Uh, there's uh, videos of this that you can see on the internet. Uh, he uh, is very very uh, his his uh, uh, official biography was uh, uh, an approved biography was written by a Jewish man, um, Rubin. And uh, so for some reason or other, he has a very, very close tie with the Jews uh, and a very ecumenical tie with them, uh, which is very troubling because uh, obviously they do not even accept Christ. and, And how does the church become ecumenical with someone that doesn't accept Christ? Well, you're, you're, even, you're, ignoring even the, someone... you're ignoring the hermeneutic of continuity. I mean, you have to interpret that in the light of tradition, <laughs> right? The Jews, the Jews are elder brothers in the light of tradition, which of course <laughs> solves everything. Yes, yes. Just put that light of tradition like infrared or ultraviolet, and everything yeah. is fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can see pictures of of the uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about, videos on, on the internet. His um, his Hanukkah celebration. Uh, maybe you should send that out on a, a Twitter feed too. But I mean, uh, even to someone uh, such as myself who has seen a lot. I mean, it's pretty shocking to see him with the uh, with a kippah, which is the Jewish skull cap on, uh, lighting candles with these people. I mean, that's, oh, that was just uh, a, he just it was, that was just a black one, Father. I mean, that was normally his his own, and he just wore a black one that day. That's not a Jewish one. So he wouldn't that's be recognized just, that's on the bus. That's just a conspiracy. That's just a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also uh, had a, an ecumenical act. That's also uh, the picture is also available uh, on the internet, uh, uh, where he's kneeling down in front of many Protestant ministers, uh, asking for their blessing and receiving their blessing, uh, which is. I don't think even John Paul II did that. I mean, the the great Koran kisser and the the uh, you know the, the the potion drinker and you know worshiping snakes and everything like that. I don't think even he did that. I think he got blessed by an American Indian, though. Uh, they waved a feather over him, but uh, I I never saw him actually do that. So this this man is heavily heavily into ecumenism. He is a radical ecumenist. Yeah, it's, it's it's not that uh, sometimes when this happens, uh, you know, the level of, of one of the occupants of the Vatican, like J.P. II or Paul VI, uh, you get the kind of story that, well, the guy is a prisoner of his entourage, and, you know, our, our beloved Holy Father is really trying to restore tradition or something like that, but these evil people around him, maybe in the, the uh, uh, Department of Ecumenism in the Vatican, are forcing this on him. But that argument can't be made here because Bergoglio, Francis, was um, uh, doing this all on his own uh, when he was the uh, uh, ordinary, the, the Archbishop of, of Buenos Aires. 
So it's not uh, not a question of him having been forced into it by anyone else. This is knowingly and willingly. Now, this is a big shift, too, from Ratzinger, who really did relatively little, almost nothing, in the way of outrageous ecumenical acts. Uh, he, he, CC3 was pretty low-key in comparison to a CC1, and then he uh, prayed toward Mecca uh, early in his non-reign, uh, and uh, uh, you know there was there was some some of that, but he I think Ratzinger understood that that was not a way in which to attract the traditionalists, and it gave too much ammunition to them uh, in in the sight of the people that there was definitely something wrong with Vatican II. So I think he had enough sense, and it was part of his his traditionalist costume that he put on that that he would refrain from such things. But this one, I think, is uh, is no holds barred. Uh, you know, I think uh, we're ready to see. <laughs> we're back to kissing the Koran. I think. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. this one makes uh, JP two and Ratzinger and Paul the six look like uh, Thomas Aquinas and uh, Torquemada put together. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's and the the thing is that even given uh, about a day just to to research this guy, all this stuff pops up. You've got him. Uh, blessing uh, and uh, uh, blessing and praising a, a, a parliament of the the Argentine Parliament of Religions, and he's standing around with all of these these uh, odd characters. You know, someone who has become a a, uh, uh, a Catholic, one of them a Catholic, who has become some sort of a Mahatma, something like that. And you have him, say, and that's in uh, 2006, there are pagans involved. Then his, um, you get these uh, pictures of him at an ecumenical holocaust service in 2012. So this is just last year in the, uh, in the cathedral. Uh, we had a, a Kristallnacht commemoration in the cathedral, too. That was the... Uh, I believe it was 1938, when uh, the uh, Nazis broke all of the windows of the Jewish businesses in Germany, uh, and they had a, a service with a lot of Jews there in the cathedral. So, again, uh, you know, he, he's very active uh, ecumenically, very, very active. Uh, the, uh, and I saw in uh, a comment from uh, his biographer that uh, uh, this is not a quote from uh, Bergoglio, but... Uh, uh, that, uh, in the opinion of this biographer, uh, that he is not uh, so interested in the differences of doctrine. What is important for him is that you get out to the people and you say to them what they want to hear. So, you know, I, I think he's uh, off the leash, the point of view of, you know, yeah. the, uh, that's, that's saying a lot. He's, he's being praised for all of this by all sorts of horrible people. So there was a, a, a positive um, uh, article and anecdote about him that uh, I read in the Wall Street Journal today uh, coming up here, where the um, uh, Anglican Bishop of uh, Buenos Aires, the, yes, there is such a thing, an Anglican Bishop of Buenos Aires, uh, went over and, and had uh, breakfast with uh, Bergoglio. And they were talking at breakfast about this arrangement that Benedict XVI had made for Anglicans to um, who wanted to come, some Anglicans who wanted to uh, join up 
uh, and still retain some of their own rights and practices. So Benedict XVI put together what was called an uh, Anglican Ordinariate, and the uh, on what we could say would be sort of the, the conservative side of uh, the Noah's Order Church, the post-Vatican II Church. This was really praised as a great, you know, that we're uh, respecting these Anglican traditions, we're allowing these people to come in. But then uh, Bergoglio told the um, Anglican bishop that the this ordinariate, uh, receiving Anglicans corporately was really unnecessary, and that what the church really needed is, is the church needed them as Anglicans. Yes, in the church. So even discouraging the idea of conversion to the Novus Ordo Church. Yes, so now don't forget the Anglicans have women priests and women bishops, and I, they have uh, homosexual bishops. You have to think about all of that. Well, anything yeah, they, any, anything you can do, they can do better, Your Excellency. Remember that's what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's, um, it's a um, uh, all of the the whole baggage that goes with that is uh, you know absolutely astounding. And so he's and I, saying uh, you know no problem. And uh, I'm just reflecting question. that you all have been around the game a very long time, so to shock either of you is a pretty big deal. I mean, I grew up in Vatican II, so this is all sort of old hat to me. But to shock you two, I think that's a pretty big deal. I think we can say Paul VI has, uh, has returned uh, with, with force. Uh, yeah. Even with the ugly vestments uh, and the uh, ugly uh, pectoral cross, Paul VI loved everything that was ugly. I mean, if it was ugly, he had it. And so many beautiful things in the Vatican were put away or or changed. I mean, you have these uh, this ugliness here and there in in St. Peter's Basilica as a result of Paul VI's horrid taste. So, and you you see the uh, he's he refused the pectoral cross that was offered to him, and he has this iron thing that looks like a beer can opener, uh, which all of the modernists wear. You can always tell what a, what a bishop is like by looking at his pectoral cross. Uh, you can tell whether he's a conservative modernist or a a uh, progressive liberal, and uh, this one has a pectoral cross that really qualifies for the super progressive liberal. Uh, the fact that it's made of iron, I, I think, really says a lot, uh, and that he refused that, and uh, uh, he also uh, uh, refused the Mercedes Benz, you know, and he wanted to get in an ordinary car and. Uh, this, we're going to see a, a big flood, I think, of of the era of Paul VI and the um, the destroying of the the uh, icons and the iconoclasm and and the return of horrid taste and modern taste. I really think you're going to see that. I think somebody pointed out that Marini, who was a big liturgical conservative and was, I think, the master of ceremonies or something, of yeah, for or something like that. Yeah, for B16. And uh, that he had the Paul VI surplus back on, that, that the lace was off and the Paul VI modernist surplus was back. Uh, and then the Sistine Chapel mass this morning was... Uh, was uh, in the uh, facing the people and everything was back to normal with the horrible vestments. It was um, uh, again. It was like the time of, of Paul VI, and uh, over the past couple of years, 
uh, people were talking about how Benedict XVI was, you know, a man of good taste and reforming the reform and rebuilding the liturgy uh, slowly. Brick by brick. Brick, brick by brick, as fa- Father Zulsdorf uh, used to say. Well, I mean, uh, this guy was perfectly happy to throw a couple of bricks through the window this morning. Well, I mean, he had... I think the, the it, wall came down like the walls of Jericho today. Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was the Paul VI vestments. We're back to the Paul VI vestments. Now, you know, mind you, I don't... Um, uh, the thing is that that is not my primary concern, okay, that he's wearing ugly vestments. It's that it is symbolic of what's going on. Yes. And so the, the message that's being uh, clearly conveyed is that we're not going to take the, uh, put sort of the traditional spin on the liturgy that Benedict XVI did. We're going to go back to the simple Paul VI stuff. Uh, and, the, and, and the John Paul II stuff. And the John Paul II stuff. And uh, that is, and we are telegraphing a message to the people and a message to the world by doing that. And he sure did that. I just watched the uh, uh, a clip of the Sistine Chapel Mass this morning, and, and that's what you get. None of this business about facing east, uh, having the Mass facing the, the crucifix that Benedict the Sixteenth had in the Sistine Chapel. It's it's we're we're back to Paul the Sixth. We're back. Yes. Uh, that's where I think we are. And that makes me happy uh, because uh, Benedict was very difficult to to uh, show to the people, the Catholic people, as a modernist because he was wearing a traditionalist costume. And people judge by appearances. And you had to explain all of his rather uh, obtuse theology uh, in order to show that he was a, a real radical modernist, but this uh, this fellow will will make it very easy for us. Yeah, it'll be what you see is what you get. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I think that in, that's computer language. It's WYSIWYG or something. Like that. It's just what, you, what you say, what you see is what you get with this guy. And so, he's shipping the. He's given us the signals. Uh, when he talked about. Um, Right away, the coverage uh, this morning um, about what was going on talked about these little details as significant, as as signals. So there's John Tavis, that's T-H-A-V-I-S, who is a Vatican correspondent who wrote, was very well connected in the Vatican and just put out a book on it. Uh, He was commenting for, um, he has a blog for some news service, and he got the word that right after uh, Bergoglio uh, was elected and went to be invested, uh, they tried to get him to put on the uh, traditional vestments. Normally you would put on uh, a white cassock and you would put on a vestment called a mosetta that's a red cape. You put a stole on over that because that symbolizes the Pope having universal jurisdiction. He's the only person who can wear a stole all the time if he wants. Uh, and uh, this guy refused, uh, looked at the pectoral cross and said, no, he wanted to keep the simple one. He wasn't going to wear the mazetta. He, so he just came out in uh, wearing a cassock and his, his little uh, uh, sort of beer bottle opener pectoral cross. And then um, what you're supposed to do, even according to the Novus Ordo rites, 
is whoever is elected is supposed to sit down on the throne, which is the, the symbol of, of papal authority, and the cardinals are supposed to come up one by one and um, uh, make a sign of obedience to him and get the kiss of peace from them. But this guy wasn't going to sit down on the throne. No, he was, he was going to stand up for this. Because, you know, he had the idea that he's going to uh, 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 show how humble he is. Yes. So, you know, you get details like that. And the thing is that it doesn't, uh, these are details, but uh, they're signals. Yeah, they're signals of of what what is going on in his little head. And that's a okay. thing we're going to see repeated, This, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get on, about this theme of humility. I think this is going to be a, a motif that we're going to see over and over. We've seen it early. For those of you who are uh, joining us now, or just joining us, you are listening to Restoration Radio. Um, our topic today is Habemus Papam, question mark. Um, and we are talking about uh, the newest claimant to the post-Vatican II papacy, um, Francis. And uh, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and the Father Anthony Chicada, um, and we're we're learning that pectoral crosses are not just a sign of the, your uh, taste in art, but also what kind of uh, alcoholic beverage you prefer. Um, I think <laughs> his Excellency is convinced. Well, that, let's that let's be fair to him. He's Argentine. It would be that mate. It would be that. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it is a sign of your theology. It, it very much is a sign of your theology. Yeah, right. it's you're you're conveying something. Uh, you're conveying something with that. Yeah. The uh, humility theme that um, we were talking about. This is also something that John Cavus and a whole bunch of people uh, have been talking about. So uh, the uh, leader for uh, an Associated Press article that talked about. This business of him, uh, you know, refusing a fancy pectoral cross and standing up to receive the obedience. The the first sentence uh, said Pope Francis put his humility on display during his first day as a pontiff. And I don't know if they realize the irony of that, but if you really have humility, you don't put it on display. Yeah. Well, we got we got a uh, a message from Twitter. Um, Nova Sordo Watch suggested superbis humilitatis nee as the uh, the watchword <laughs> of this uh, of this papacy. Uh, for those for those of you not familiar with your Latin, uh, that means proud of my humility. Um, if if you're following along on Twitter, I've been posting the various. I've been trying to keep up with His Excellency and Father, who've been giving you a lot of uh, of really great information. I posted a photo of uh, the photo and the story behind the Protestant, the busing front uh, on his knees from Protestant ministers in 2006. I've linked to the video of him celebrating Hanukkah in an ecumenical service. I've uh, put a link to the original in Spanish of his uh, prayer referencing, uh, asking for the, the Jews as his elder brothers in the faith to pray for him. And I've also put out, uh, again, another sign that we've gone back to Paul VI, without the conspiracy theories or the long ears, uh, a balloon balloon backdrop to a recent mass that he did. And we really, I mean, clown masses, it's been a long time. You know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost a retro at this point mm-hmm. to, bring, to bring in clown, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, balloon masses. And, and we've got a photo of that posted as well. Yeah, a balloon says so much. Uh, uh, one balloon is worth 30 books of Ratzinger. 
Uh, it just says so much about uh, the man. Uh, I don't think even JP2 used balloons. Uh, I, I think uh, it just, it's, you know, to, when you think of the sacredness of the Catholic Mass, when you think of, for example, a Catholic solemn high mass in a magnificent cathedral before the council, and the sacredness of that, the idea of having balloons is it's just something, it's blasphemous and sacrilegious that you would bring balloons in as if it's some sort of a party. And this just says everything, that just the appearance of one balloon at a liturgical celebration it means that the, the, the man is also off the liturgical rails, uh, that he is a radical leftist from the point of view of liturgy. Uh, if you see the video, too, it's, it's on the Internet, of the children's mass that he celebrated uh, not too long ago in uh, Buenos Aires. You'll, you'll, it's, a, it's a shocker uh, from the point of view of liturgy. Uh, it, you know, it has, yeah, what, uh, you, what you have is, uh, I went and looked at it as, as the sort of, uh, liturgical policeman of this operation, and um, it's it, it, it's a it was a kids' mass, a children's mass, celebrated according to the uh, uh, children's directory that Bugnini cooked up in uh, the seventies. And uh, what uh, among the different features uh, you have uh, is uh, you naturally have, have uh, pop type music and guitars. And that's that's sort of uh, noise and seeing pop type of music, and then you have uh, these young ladies sort of dancing back and forth to uh, get the kids to sing along with the music at different points, and so they're sort of gyrating back and forth and uh, clapping. Uh, you get uh, the clapping and rhythm during the mass. Um, the uh, uh, and it, you get the the uh, sort of the, the the odd altarware that they use the the um, uh, you know metal chalices that, that look like uh, uh, some sort of a gun metal and then uh, a uh, patent that the, looks the like pizza that. Host, all, you know the yeah the pizza host. host yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, so there's all this uh, there's all this stuff and then. He is singing, or, or uh, they're doing this this children's mass canon, and uh, there's this uh, text that the celebrant is supposed to read, and then it's interspersed. So he's reading this, and this is interspersed with these guitar uh, guitar refrains sung by the kids and clapping, and then um, the um, uh, at a certain point. Then the balloons are let loose, uh, like yes. lots of balloons. Yes. <laughs> so it's a um, it is sacred balloons. <laughs> sacred balloons. Yeah. It, it is uh, uh, so absolutely bizarre. Uh, you know, from from the point of view of Catholic worship, and and you say that objectively, you know, if you have standards, something like that is is so disrespectful. It's blasphemous. It makes such a light. Of what's supposed Other to be that there's no provision to say like let let these balloons rise to you like an evening sacrifice. <laughs> that's, that's I, I, I think that that's one of the options. I think they're the work options. of human breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I know um, an excellent book that's close to that title. Yes. <laughs> I've heard that the author is a troublemaker. So. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to. Can I can I get into a little bit of inside inside baseball with you, your Excellency and Father? Um, 
because we, we noted that one all of the cardinals who participated in this uh, so-called conclave were appointed by either JP2 or Benedict XVI, and that it came out that this uh, that Francis was the main opposition candidate, not just a, a regular opposition opposition candidate, but sponsored by our our good friend Cardinal Martini. Um, the the swing then represents that not only did he keep the one third that he had in the 2005 conclave, but he managed to bring over one third of Ratzinger's side over to him. Um, so there's. He's definitely a consensus candidate, perhaps. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that swing? Well, you have to, um, uh, first of all, I guess we have to tell people a little bit about Cardinal Martini. Um, the, uh, no, it's Martini, like the drink, not Montini. Yeah. Uh, He's related to that family, too, the Martini, uh, Martini and Rossi. Really? Yes, yes. So there, there is a connection to the the drink there. Yeah, I'll drink to that. He's dead now, though. Martini died recently. Okay. So what? Um, uh, he was also a Jesuit, and uh, he was a standard uh, run-of-the-mill modernist theologian who was in favor of all sorts of crazy things, and um, including homosexuals up- living together. Uh, for one, and um, uh, there's a whole list of things that we came up with once about mm-hmm. him. But mm-hmm. in any event, he was like he was the darling of the modernists, mm-hmm. uh, who really wanted, uh, who were sick of JP two, etc. And they had hoped that he would be elected. Well, in the in the 2005 uh, conclave, uh, I guess that the thought of electing him was a little bit too much. But his man was uh, Bergoglio, now Francis. So he was the one, he was the candidate of the uh, people who did not support Ratzinger, uh, who did not want to support Ratzinger. He was so like the they, Democrat. Yes. So what, what happened is that uh, Ratzinger, during, these, um, during the intervening years, uh, appointed more cardinals, but then... Uh, you would think that they would have voted uh, for someone according to the Ratzingerian mindset, you know, someone who would have carried on this, this sort of appearance of, of the hermeneutic of continuity and uh, uh, tradition and liturgical uh, splendor and so on. But they didn't. They voted for someone who is the antithesis, who seems to be the antithesis of that. He's like almost like an anti-Ratzinger. Yes. That is a, a shock. It, it shows how unpopular Ratzinger's policies were. This is a slap in the face to Ratzinger's policies. And I'm sure Ratzinger is not happy with the choice. I'm no. sure he is not. Because I think I mean, Ratzinger knows enough that if Vatican II is going to survive, it has to have the costume of traditionalism. Yes. And well, this, this I mean, will when, worry when, him that that this man will do crazy, outlandish things and will will destroy Vatican II all the more. Well, I mean, you have to imagine the Fraternity Saint Peter and, and the Society of Saint Pius X will be excited because you have to imagine they're getting rid of all the Benedict's Baroque vestments and they'll be going on eBay and then they'll <laughs> give that money to the poor, just like uh, Paul VI uh, sold his tiara, you know, to give money to the poor. We'll get rid of all of those vestments. So, I mean, it's going to be a fire sale. Your Excellency, you might want to be checking eBay. Uh, <laughs> <those vestments. laughs> 
there'll be a glut. <laughs> yeah, there will be a glut. <laughs> um, so, no, it, it is a big uh, seismic shift, uh, and uh, the neocons must be, uh, you know, in tears tonight because their their world has come to a swift end, and, and it's smashed in this man. And the ones r- right away, some of them were. Uh, quite realistic about it that it was that this guy's a disaster in fact uh rurate chaley which uh, has a, a large neocon following and supports the mode of proprio mass etc and uh kind of traditional ideas and is, was a big pro benedict 16th site um uh, the first article it published about the man talked about said the horror of it and they published an extremely critical article from uh, by an Argentine journalist outlining some of the the really awful things that Bergoglio had had, had done down there. So some of yes, them. Yes, and there was another article uh, concerning the Sumorum Pontificum. Uh, I looked at Rorate a little later and uh, a detailed uh, description of how that was implemented. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, there was some talk. Oh, he implemented it right away, and you know, two weeks later they had a, a mass. Well, it was once a month in some obscure place, and it was said by modernists. And this is what the Argentinian priests told us here too, that yeah. that they assigned modernist priests to say it, and that they uh, did not use the traditional uh, epistle and gospels, but used the uh, Novus Ordo lectionary and read them to the people as if it were a Novus Ordo mass. So they got this half-breed, I mean, it wasn't anything, it wasn't traditional, it wasn't Nova Sordo, just this, you know, this half-breed thing. And that most of the people who went to it were turned away, that there were hundreds of people that showed up for it, and now there's, you know, just a few people. Uh, that's on Rorata, you can read that. So that that was his uh, way of implementing Sumorum Pontificum. And that Buenos Aires does not have a, a motu mass now. I mean, there was another part of the article saying that, that you can't, uh, find uh, motu mass in Buenos Aires. Would it be fair to say, Your Excellency, that uh, humanly speaking, Sumorum Pontificum is finished? Well, oh. I I don't know what he's going to do, but you know, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's a shift in the whole outlook. Uh, Ratzinger had this policy of putting the traditional costume on Vatican II. Uh, that that was something that defined his whole attempt at a papacy. And there's a shift now. I mean, how he will deal with it, I don't know. But, I mean, if if he deals with it in the same way he dealt with it in Buenos Aires, I think it's the end of, of Sumorum Pontificum. Yeah, yeah because they, they with uh, uh, Ratzinger in place, since he, he uh, promulgated it, and, uh, you know, in a certain sense, you could say by having all the... the um, traditionalist decorations for the Novus Ordo, he uh, encouraged uh, these ideas at least uh, indirectly uh, because uh, people in in the indult and in the motu proprio world looked at him and said, you know, see, this is good. It's being, everything's are being reformed brick by brick. Now they can't say that. I mean, the the traditional fig leaf is off. Uh, you know, and we're uh, uh, you know back to uh, you know Vatican II. 
Yes, the naked naked glory. <laughs> we, we we have a, we have a comment on Twitter from from one of those neocons you're referring to, Father, and your Excellency. Okay. Um, a euphemism, dear brother, euphemism. Fainting is a polite way to put a word on my actual feelings. Mm. Uh, yes, it must be a a bad day for them. I mean, they they were so built up by their hopes in Ratzinger. It it just uh, this I'm I'm sure just dashes everything that they were ever hoping for. I'm sure they were looking for another Ratzinger that was even more so, <laughs> uh, like Ratzinger, but more so, and uh, they they got uh, Paul the Sixth essentially or worse. Uh, yeah, it, it, it must be a terrible and a, uh, a bitter disappointment to them. But uh, you know, it goes back to the problem once more that uh, all of this stuff grew out of Vatican II. It's all back to the Council. And, you know, you, uh, uh, I can see people uh, coming into this at a certain point and putting their hopes in some sort of a, uh, a step-by-step gradual uh, restoration. And that, that was the, sort of the, the, the matrix that they imposed on what uh, Benedict XVI was, uh, was doing. You know, so we said Father Zulsdorf saying brick by brick. It was being rebuilt. But then... Um, it's not. It can't be really built on a solid foundation because there's still Vatican II in the background, and it's the uh, these things that we're talking about, the uh, false ecumenism and the bizarre ideas on um, uh, non-Catholic religions and the liturgical abuses. Uh, all of these things are. Uh, rooted in the uh, bad principles, the false teachings, the ambiguities, and the equivocations of uh, Vatican II. I mean, you could, um, uh, you know, given probably three minutes with the Vatican II Constitution on the liturgy, I could justify the balloon masses for you. Uh, because uh, you can you can read Vatican II one way and then the other. And that's the diabolical advantage of it. And we were saying Senior, earlier the, the, the table this morning. It always goes back to Vatican II, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Vatican II is the problem. The the document is it's going to be hope in the church. The documents of Vatican II must be burned, and then things will be set aright. Until they are burned and publicly repudiated, everything will be wrong. And you know that's the simple reality. But the hope of the neocons would be that he retire. And we were saying this morning that he could retire with Ratzinger in that house in behind the Vatican, and then we could call it papal estates, <laughs> and that you'll have this retirement home for for popes or bishops of Rome or whatever white cassock people anyway, and uh, they could be taken out on buses to Atlantic City and like in a white bus. <laughs> And, uh, does, and, you does the Vatican Bank issue the checks on the first and the fifteenth of the month? Is that when they'll, is that when they'll head out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's when they get it. And then, uh, you know, in in his humility, you know, in his in his discreet humility, he doesn't want to get into a uh, into a Mercedes Benz. So we were speculating that he might go around on a moped, which is very yeah. common in Rome. And and Father Chicada said, well, then you would have to call it a poped. <laughs> <laughs> Puns are the lowest form of humor. What can I say? <laughs> uh, for, those, for those of you who are joining our uh, apparently uh, comedian stand tonight, uh, we are Restoration <laughs> Radio. 
uh, our show, Habe Muspapam, uh, on Francis, on the new claimant to the post-Vatican II papacy. Our guests are His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. And uh, I suppose then your answer to those, those, those neocons that are sad tonight is, reach for the closest pectoral cross, open up a beer, and it'll, it'll get a little better. It'll get a little better. <laughs> well, I mean, Stephen, we really don't want to be cruel, but I, I, the, the thing is that you have to be realistic. It's, I guess my message to them is you have to be realistic about what the source of the trouble is. And, you know, you have to figure out what it really is, and it really, uh, it really is Vatican II. It's not its interpretation. It's not the wrong... Um, uh, hermeneutic you know, the, of rupture instead of uh, you know of, of continuity and consistency with tradition. It's not the interpretation. It's it's Vatican to itself that's uh, inflicting uh, that's inflicted so many problems on uh, Catholics of goodwill, and that will continue to do so because what um, uh, uh, Francis is doing is equally justified under the Vatican II principles as what Ratzinger is doing. Yes. Ecumenism is Vatican II. And that's the problem, is, is saying effectively that the Catholic Church is not the one true church, outside of which there is no salvation. Uh, it is saying that the non-Catholic religions are means of salvation. Uh, this is heresy. And for as long as that heresy is in place in the Vatican buildings, you're going to have major, major trouble. Uh, You're going to have a perversion uh, of of what those buildings are meant to represent and what the, the people in them are meant to represent. It'll, it's a turning it upside down and perverting it. Uh, yes, and, and, and the idea of the, the, the message of running down, which, which uh, this fellow seems to do, or running down the dignity of the papacy. And uh, the, the idea of the reduction to the Bishop of Rome, uh, and that is uh, traced back to Vatican II and collegiality, yes. and to all of the different actions yes. with the Paul VI and his successors that, that flowed from that. So and that's to why we're getting... itself. And the balloons yeah. go back to the document on the liturgy, sure. all the adaptations that are, are and, and all of the post-Vatican II... Uh, official reforms. It's, this is not abuse you know, by local bishops. Th these are official reforms that were approved under Paul VI, the Children's Mass, and all of these adaptations and uh, inculturation, uh, all of these things, uh, and Father Chicada pointed those out in his book. Uh, all this goes back to Vatican II and official acts of these Vatican II non-popes. And until that is solved, there, there is no hope for anything. And I, I, if there's one lesson for the neocons to learn, I think it's that, that the, the, the momentary uh, paradise of Ratzinger is gone, and, and now uh, they're, they're out in, in the diaspora. Yeah, you, I, can't I, I, go, you can't go into sort of what you would call the hermeneutic of denial, you know, now, that uh, uh, this, this stuff is really going on. And right. Bishop Sanborn and I both know from uh, our own experiences trying to fight these modernists 35 years ago in the modernist seminaries, how fruitless an exercise it is to say that Vatican II is being misinterpreted, because we tried the same stuff, and it didn't work. Because yes, I went through that in the 1960s, thinking that Paul VI was the bulwark of orthodoxy, and it was the bad bishops and the, and the bad priests. Oh, yeah. 
I went through I, that I, when I was a teenager. Sure, sure. We all had we all had to do it. We all had to, you know, buy the prisoner of the Vatican narrative. You know, you mm-hmm. weren't you weren't the first, and unfortunately, you won't be the last uh, until the hermeneutic of denial is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a weak pope, not, and he didn't, you know, he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. and it was the wicked, the wicked American bishops. <laughs> they were frustrating his. Uh, you know, his every move to uh, restore dignity to worship and orthodoxy and so on. And well, he I mean, didn't have many... to take the time to, to suppress a small Swiss congregation. Well, this was when we were in the diocesan seminary. You know, we, this yeah. is what we were thinking. That, sure. uh, I mean, if he only knew what was going on, and, and uh, I mean, you know, he was just held in, in a sacrosanct position. Uh, I mean, because he was the Pope, and, and the Pope, by definition, is is a person who uh, assures the orthodoxy of the Catholic Church, which is, of course, true. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, but the, the neocons of today are still in that mode that we broke out of in the late 60s and early 70s, because reality presented itself that Paul VI was not a weak person, and that he was the one that concocted all of this nonsense. And that is liberalism and modernism goes back to a time when he was an early priest in the 1920s, a young priest. I mean, he he had a, a horrible career as a modernist. Uh, and you, when you do the research and you see this, you say, well, you know, th- these people are corrupt. They're they're doctrinally corrupt and liturgically corrupt, and they're giving us the contagion that is in their own dark souls. Well, Your Excellency and Father, you've lit up the phone line, so even though we're not quite at the halfway point, and I haven't given the number out, we've got over ten callers in the queue. So, do you, do you have, Are there any balloons connected with those lights? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. Oh, goodness, we're having too much fun. Um, you're listening to Restoration Radio. Our show tonight, Habemus Papam, question mark, on Francis, on uh, the post-Vatican II claimant, Francis. Um, our guests are His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. If you'd like to call and chat with either of these validly ordained clerics, uh, you can call in at 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. Um, Michael from Washington, hopefully um, you, I think your question is probably a little more tame, um, but I think you had a yeah. question about the election. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking, who did you guys think would be the potential, uh, uh, you know, who who did you guys think would get elected as Pope? It was wide open. Uh, I had no idea uh, who would get elected. No idea at all. Uh, I had, it was wide open. Because so, there wasn't a lot of actual um, uh, media coverage on the potential candidates this time around, I noticed. Like, if you remember... Last time they had a lot of uh, coverage on the uh, the bishop from South Africa, and I think he was actually in contention for this year. And uh, a lot of uh, you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, hype about the uh, potential candidates. No, it was it was very uh, perhaps more than in any other time. Uh, it was wide open, uh, and uh, because there's so many factions now, even among the modernists, you know, there's there's some very conservative ones, very liberal ones, moderate ones. There's factions. Factions among the bishops and and factions among the clergy. It's it's a very. Divine. Well, uh, I'd like to address that question though about about knowing um, uh, sort of knowing in advance. If you look at, I think, uh, pretty much the uh, conclaves for the nearly for the previous century, it was uh, going into it. Uh, everyone pretty much had an idea 
of uh, educated guess of who would be elected. Uh, but uh, this one, as Bishop Sanborn said, there were in fact so many factions, and um, even the press divided them into uh, sort of three different um, the cardinals into sort of three different groups in terms of their interests. So right, it, was, it was a hard one to predict and a hard one to figure out. What the, the guess a little bit, uh, at least as far as I was concerned, was that they would be somewhat cautious and uh, go with someone who had some of the Ratzingerian ideas. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it didn't turn out that way. No, so I think it's indicative that, that there is a, a strong anti-Ratzinger movement and feeling. I thought you would get more of the same, a, a smoothie uh, that would uh, placate everyone and uh, be rather conservative theologically, uh, but no, they, 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 this is a, a bit of a shock to me that they, they would choose such a man. Yeah. We have a question from Brian. I think, is it Bryant or Brian from New York? Bryant. Bryant, uh, you have a question about uh, Argentina in relation to the, this uh, papacy. Correct. Um, I wanted to talk about the new pope and how he's coming from South America. I know there hasn't been uh, any new popes from outside Europe in over a long period of time. So my question was, do you think the difference in geography affects the decision of the Pope because religion in different parts of the world emphasize different points? Yes, I do. Uh, I think that uh, South America is the last stronghold for the Novus Ordo. Uh, right. the, the faith is, is completely ruined in Europe. Europe. There's hardly anybody in the churches in Europe now. Those magnificent churches are just empty, and they use them for concerts. And I mean, there's a few elderly ladies that you see in you know, these churches. And North America is is on its way to that. Most of the people going to mass in North America have gray hair. Uh, right. The young people, uh, with some exceptions, are not going to mass uh, to the Novus Ordo Mass. So. That, that this whole swath uh, of the North Atlantic is gone for them, or they, you know, if not gone, it's it's going quickly, and it's no longer a stronghold. They see South America as as the future of the Nova Sorta religion, but you know, I think that's pretty short lived too, because the Protestants have made a lot of inroads, particularly in Brazil, which is a huge country. Uh, and also in, in other South American countries, uh, Bolivia and, and uh, Peru, it, it, it is no longer, or at least it, it, it may no longer be for them what they hope for it to be. And I think this election of, of a South American is, is the hope that this will at least uh, create a, a final stronghold for the Novus Ordo. The commentators today, though, even pointed out that um, the tremendous, even though that it is considered uh, uh, more vital, certainly than than uh, Europe is, that yeah. uh, so, compared to what it was at the time of they had Vatican, they had at the time of Vatican II, it it it, it is uh, greatly diminished. No, I'm I'm here. I I, uh, I think Brian had his uh, had his radio turned on. Brian, if you had another question or a follow up, feel free to call, and we'll move you back up to the top of the queue. I think there was some. You might have had your radio on in the background. So remember, when you're on call, call in the hold queue, you're listening to the show in real time. 
And if you have it on in the background, it's got about a one-minute delay. So just remember that when you are being introduced. Um, our next caller, so I, I guess, that Brian, if, if you'd like, you can come back and give us a call. Our next uh, caller is Daniel calling from uh, Indiana, and he's got a question on the, um, I guess, Cardinal uh, Jorge. Hi, how are you guys doing this evening? Pretty good, Daniel. So what's your question? So um, I, I've been uh, really sick lately and unable to watch the news. I, I uh, found out that the new pope had been elected, so I just uh, wanted to know, like, uh, what had been. I just wanted to know what his early earlier life was like and before he became pope. Well, this is, uh, he was uh, born in the '30s, correct? And uh, his his background is uh, Argentine. He is a member of the Jesuit order. Uh, and it, it, uh, it takes you a long time to become a priest in, in the Jesuit order. Uh, was it like 13 years or something after high school, something like that? It's, it's uh, uh, quite quite a bit longer uh, than uh, the normal course. So he was ordained in, in 1969. And before that, probably uh, what you did typically as a Jesuit is that um, – you uh, did a novitiate, and uh, there were other different stages that uh, you did. You would make vows, and then uh, you would uh, generally be uh, you'd receive a certain amount of education. You'd be sent to teach at a Jesuit high school, um, and uh, eventually you'd finish up your seminary studies, and and uh, uh, you'd be ordained. So he was ordained in about 69, and, and subsequent uh, to that, he did uh, educational work. He uh, ended up, I believe, as a rector of, of, of Jesuit seminary Scholasticate. And uh, w one thing we were not able to determine today, uh, because of the, sort of the, the dearth of uh, immediately available and information is is what he did in the way of whether or not he got a doctoral degree in theology because that uh, would tell us uh you know um his his thesis what he wrote about would tell us quite a bit we we know that he taught literature and psychology uh um, yeah and, uh, and then eventually taught theology so that's that's a, a sort of a a of general outline of of his background Oh, okay. Um, uh, we have another call from Jason uh, from New York, um, and he's got two questions. Um, Jason, go ahead. Hi, uh, Your Excellency and Father Sakata. Um, glad to talk to you. I really love your work, first of all. Um, I'm at the CMR site a lot, CMRI site a lot, and listen to a lot. I read a lot of traditionalist literature, but I have two questions. Um, the first one is about you talked about running down the papacy. Um, mm -hmm. I was wondering if there's, I mean, I, I've just realized how they actually been doing this, like um, giving up the tiara and everything. Um, I was just wondering if that could indicate a move more towards devolving authority away from the papacy and Absolutely. away from Rome. Yes. Absolutely. That has been the idea of the modernists since the 18th century. To to make the papacy something like the British monarchy, just a, a figurehead. Absolutely, yes, and uh, yes. So Benedict's uh, refusal of the tiara 
uh, well, first of all, John Paul II's refusal of it at the inauguration and refusal to call it a coronation. Then you had Benedict refusing the tiara in his in his coat of arms, and now this one uh, refuses yet more things. I mean, you see a pattern. Uh, you can see it's clearly planned. Are yes, they the, planning? The, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The the idea of devolved authority was uh, extremely popular with uh, the modernists around the time of Vatican II, and there was a shift to. Uh, decentralize uh, uh, authority, uh, the uh, power to make uh, decisions from the Vatican to the conferences of bishops. Uh, formerly, the, the, the way that things operated in uh, the Catholic country is, is you had the authority of the Pope uh, and the Roman congregations, and then you had the individual bishops. In uh, After Vatican II, you got this idea that you would have national conferences of bishops, and the modernists saw this as a way to devolve uh, authority, to take authority away from the uh, uh, authority in effect away from the Holy See. And what they would do, uh, so you see in many of the Vatican II documents, and especially in the question of uh, the sacred liturgy, uh, uh, all of these different decisions being left to bishops' conferences. Uh, because that was seen as the new way to go. And that's so always that is, in the interest of ecumenism. It's always behind it. Paul VI said the greatest obstacle to ecumenism is the papacy. So obviously the papacy has to go if ecumenism is to stay. Is this a way of finally getting those countries and, and, and regions that want, you know, the, the traditional litany of, of horrors, you know, um, instituted into the faith? Is this a way of getting, like, gay marriage, like in the U.S., getting, you know, female priests, you know, in other parts of the world? Or is, is that impossible to do if the Holy Spirit still, still exists? I don't really, I'm not well, clear on that. I mean, you never know what they're going to do and what their ideas are. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this one does some pretty outlandish things. Uh, you know, but you don't know. They, there is no point of reference for them. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Jason, does that answer your questions? Yeah, I guess I just wondered what the next step in uh in the actual regional bodies or the national conferences being able to make very important decisions, you know. Stay tuned. What would <laughs> what would That's all you can say is <laughs> Yeah. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think, you're, just, I think you're definitely onto something with that. You know, we'll we'll see what he does. But yeah, I mean, if he keeps referring to himself as Bishop of Rome, he might really be looking, he as, as you're talking about, at more devolved powers. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just was reading. I did not know this, but Benedict um, refused to say that he was the Patriarch of the West as well. No, he got he got rid of that title. He he dumped it, which is a very ancient title, and of course is the corollary to whatever the uh, the Eastern patriarchs claim. It's a very important <laughs> role if you want to breathe with both lungs. Uh, which I, wow. uh, Father Father had mentioned that uh, you want to talk about um, a, a real ecumenical move. I mean, this guy might put another. You know, he he was the uh, patriarch of uh, was he the patriarch? He he was head of the Eastern Catholics in Argentina. And he was like he actually only has one lung, interestingly enough, 
And if you want to breathe with both lungs of the church, as is an expression of the post-Vatican II popes, then he might get a lung just for that. You know, <laughs> and in that regard, I noticed in that video of the children's mass that he was a little breathy. Yes, uh, I noticed that that uh, you know he was talking in a high voice, obviously, and and he was slightly breathy. Uh, so he may not be uh, you know have all the health that that they think he does, and uh, he may not, may not be able to keep up. And then he can move into the papal estates part. Yeah, <laughs> Jason, thank you. Get on the bus. Thank you very much, Jason. Can I have one more okay, question? A very, a, a very brief one. Go ahead. Oh yeah, just in his biography. He's associated with Communion and Liberation Movement, and that um, was started by Luigi Giussani. Could you, do you know anything about that, and can you talk about that? That's sure, it. absolutely. Okay. Father, do um, you want to talk about liberation theology, or Your Excellency, who would like to take that one? Now, liberation theology is essentially Marxism with uh, a Christian sauce on it. Uh, and this, this uh, Mr. B, as I call him, uh, Bergoglio, he uh, he is very heavily into Marxism and socialism too. His, his practically all he talks about uh, is uh, is social issues and uh, alleviation of the sufferings of the poor, but not in the way that the church understands that, in the, but in the way that Marxists and socialists understand it. So, uh, and also it had that communion and liberation has the um, one one of its doctrines is that uh the uh you need Jesus essentially in order to be a perfect person uh that that uh, this is typical of modernist theology that you have a need for the supernatural you have a need uh of of the the christian faith in order to perfect yourself and uh this is the entire idea of gaudium et spes uh, that the church is is hooking up with the the modern idea of perfecting itself socially and personally and uh, economically. In other words, a whole new world order, uh, and the church is, is inserting itself in this to give it a spiritual aspect. Uh, that that's very much part of communion and liberation. Really? The, oh yes, yeah, okay. uh, you can look that up on the internet though. Communion and liberation. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you. Yes. All right, thank you. Um, well, we, we actually made it through a call without uh, without anything. <laughs> without, without hitting the squelch button. <laughs> um, Maybe you should get one of those boop boop, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Have, have a little, uh, I could do a little clown noise. I could make a little uh, big shoe noise. Um, John from Missouri, Father Chicada, do you think that you'll get uh, more parish growth because of people being disgusted with the new Pope. John, is that your question? Hello, uh, Stephen, Your Excellency, Father. Uh, actually, I'm from New Jersey, not Missouri. Okay, New Jersey. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, it's kind of a twofold question. Um, since you, Father Chicada, since you've been in Ohio for the last 20 or something years, have you gotten a steady increase of people coming over from the indult crowd? And the second part of that is, do you expect growth now because of the, the neocons that you were talking about before? Do you think this will be a catalyst to see a movement away from the indult crowd towards your type of uh, parishes? Well, that, uh, that's a good question. I, now, um, we have uh, 
gotten over the years that I've been here. Uh, some people who have come over from uh, from the indult and from the motu propria mass. Uh, you know that it's it's as a result of. <coughs> Uh, reading and, and looking at the issues and so on. But, you know, it's not uh, by any means an enormous growth because for those people to step outside of what they would perceive as the diocesan structure is very difficult for them. Uh, so that's the answer to the first part of the question. The answer to the second part is that um, a uh, this development with uh, Bergoglio being elected is... Uh, something that I certainly hope would be a wake-up call for a lot of these people who really haven't thought about these issues. And if they're confronted with someone who um, really is um, gung-ho on putting into effect um, uh, his particular spin on Vatican II, I think yes in the long run. But it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be an instantaneous thing because it does take people a while to figure things out. They have to get out of the idea, um, they have to figure out from what this man does that, um, uh, you know, it takes really more than a white cassock to be a pope. Yes, I think it's an excruciatingly difficult act for someone who has... Um, accepted the whole idea of the motu proprio to make the decision that there is no hope of any Catholicism from what they perceive as as the Catholic Church, what we say is the Novus Ordo. Uh, that that is a very difficult decision uh, for them, and and uh, it, but I do think that I mean not to make a pun, but I think that their balloon has been broken. Yeah. Uh, by this election, and they're doing some serious thinking, I'm sure. Yeah, what, what happens is, and, uh, you know, as I say, having to a certain extent been in that position uh, myself and trying to justify what is going on in the Vatican II Church and remain part of it and interpret things conservatively, um, it, uh, I can say that I understand that, and also um, the uh, it was... Uh, uh, the people who are in the motu proprio and indult movement, I think now will feel uh, justifiably quite a bit more isolated because so many of them don't think that the new form of worship is, is Catholic anyway, and they they reject um, uh, you know picking and choosing certain of of, of uh, uh, the uh, new doctrines that they maybe ex, uh, accept and others that they reject, but uh, I think they're going to feel more isolated now. And in fact, they are more isolated because the mask is off. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. And I, I actually I disagree slightly with there that there's a rejection of of the uh, Novus Ordo because. My experience is I've found a lot of people in this in this uh in, in the motu proprio world mm -hmm. to have cozied up to the Novosordo, especially under Benedict XVI. They feel you know oh, they let down their guard and mm. they you know, and now there's like it's now an abrupt change of scenery, so to speak. Yeah. I think most of them though uh, uh, would refuse to attend the Novosordo Mass in principle. That that it is uh, not a Catholic rite. It, at least that that's what they would feel in their hearts. They may not say it or think it or permit themselves to say it or think it, 
but in their hearts, I think they avoid that Novus Ordo as if it were just a not not a Catholic rite. That, that's what I think Father means by that. Yes, and and what you say though is is the the fact that uh, Benedict the Sixteenth was making so many um, what seemed to be uh, traditional type moves uh, to them that they they took obviously quite a bit of encouragement and figured that well maybe in some circumstances it might not be so bad after all. Yes, but uh, that will change, I think. Yes, John, thanks for the call. Thank you. Um, For those of you listening, in your hearts, you know that Bishop Sanborn is right. (laughs) I think they said Uh, that about Goldwater, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Those people are old enough to remember that. Yeah, well, that dates me and a lot of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I knew your excellency. I was hoping there would be some people who would also. We are taking uh, a couple questions from Twitter. Um, I guess a a first one is a comment. Brian let us know that for the audience with the Cardinals on Friday, the Pope instructed them to wear plain black cassocks. No. Hmm. Uh, He's got a New York Times link to it. So uh, for those of you who are, I'm going to retweet that. That's what Napoleon did. (laughs) Really? Is it? Yes. Yes, to the recalcitrant cardinals that wouldn't go along with his program. He he put them all in black. Yeah, the headline is, With simple actions and dress, new pope shifts tone at Vatican. Uh, He wore simple black shoes and an ordinary wristwatch. Yeah, and this goes back to what he's trying to do. Um, Brian, thanks for that. We'll uh, we'll retweet that. (laughs) That's going to cause, I think, some friction, in my opinion. Well, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, we might be in for a great Western schism. <laughs> uh, Number two. <laughs> because <laughs> the, the thing is, again, if, if something like that is true, that's symbolic. Yeah. And the type of symbolism that that uh, conveys uh, is not going to go over with everyone. No, I don't, no. Because, you know, uh, you can push certain things. Um but, uh, you know, in terms of the compromise candidate and so on. But I'm sure that there would be a real divergency of, of uh, ideas on that. Yes. Now, he might irritate people beyond the measure, and, and you, you might see some sparks. Yeah, uh, it's just... Uh uh, be very interested to read that one. Yes. So if you ship that link to me, I'll take yes. a look. Absolutely. Uh, the second question comes from the, uh, the Precision Department and Novus Ordo Watch. Um, okay. by, resi- by resigning, did Benedict XVI give an ideal preparation for Francis's final dagger into the papacy? Mm, that's a good question. I thought of that. I mean, is this planned by Ratzinger? Uh, is this all part of the whole scheme to to ruin the papacy? Uh, I thought of that. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's all secret, but uh, I, I think it, it's it, it has uh, certainly worthy of speculation. Uh, okay. No, no um, it, it certainly is because it, it, it's uh, uh, you know it's the, the the sort of thing that would really uh, would really do it after the the Ratzinger years. Yeah. You, know, sp- you see this especially- progress. From one to the other, the progress of the of the uh, destruction of the Catholic faith, little by little, 
Uh, but I think we're going to see uh, quite an acceleration of it in this one. Uh-huh. For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Restoration Radio. Um, our topic today is Habemus Papam? Question mark. Uh, and we're talking about uh, Francis, the latest claimant to the post-Vatican II uh, papacy. Um, if you'd like to submit questions on Twitter, like some of the questions we just read, just go to twitter.com and type in our handle, at True Restoration. Leave your question, and it will come up in our feed. Then you don't have to wait on hold. Um, if you are trying to call in, the telephone number to call in is 949-272-9417. Um, and our next caller is John from Wisconsin. He's got uh, two questions regarding, uh, I think, the canon of the Mass. John, is that right? Yes, that, that is correct. Good evening, Your Excellency, Father Chicago, Stephen. Hi. Um, the two questions, real quick, are since all the cardinals in the conclave, and you kind of touched it a little bit, were all made by modernist hope, how come this election even registers in the traditional movement? And my other question is more geared towards the society of the Pius X, that since none of these last quotation mark popes were condemned to be heretical by the church itself, wouldn't it technically be that you could put one of these popes in the canon uh, by a priest uh, if he was not sure if he was the pope and he would still actually give graces to the laity? And to himself. Number one is, is you know, despite whatever you, uh, whatever theory you hold about uh, election and so forth, uh, the the fact that these people are purporting to be popes and have a tremendous influence over people who profess to be Catholic means that in a certain way it affects everybody. And uh, so, you know, even though we hold, Father Jakarta and I hold that, you know, he he's uh, no more the Pope than your mailman. Uh, the the uh, well, we might see less of him as <laughs> time goes on. But the uh, uh, the nevertheless, because uh, he, he's in those positions and uh, he, he is seen by the world as as the successor of Saint Peter. Uh, it affects us, and, and therefore uh, we have to deal with it. That, that's the answer to the number one. I can't remember the second. Oh, about Una Kum. Uh, yeah. it, it, you can't live in doubt about the identity of the Roman pontiff. The, the Roman pontiff, uh, your obedience and submission to the Roman pontiff is necessary for salvation. So you can't say, oh, I don't know. You have to resolve the doubt in the practical order by saying, I'm going to act toward him as if he is, or I'm going to act toward him as if he isn't. Otherwise, you would commit a very grave sin of being indifferent toward him. Uh, you, you can't be indifferent toward the Roman pontiff because you owe him obedience, or you owe him rejection if he is a false Roman pontiff. But you can't be in the middle. And therefore, a priest who is in doubt would have to reconcile it one way or the other. Uh, and it is very easy to reconcile it and to find out the facts and, and to, to verify the fact that he is not the Roman pontiff. Uh, it's very easy to do if you just do your homework and have an open mind. Uh, so the Unicum Mass and reciting the name of, of the heretic in the Mass is something sacrilegious and uh, must be avoided by all priests and lay people. Well, well even if like, since he hasn't been technically condemned by the true church, 
that all things that seem to have come up in the teachings of the church, and I told I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. that seems to be consistent that unless he's formally condemned, like I know back in the 1400s, there was a bishop that was heretical. He was warned. He was excommunicated, and the priests that continued to put him in the canon of the mass, they were threatened with well of excommunication. But if it wasn't for the formal decree that he was excommunicated, those priests would have been in the right. That That's where I'm posing the question. I think I'd, I discussed that case in um, uh, and this general issue in the article that I wrote on this uh, uh, called Grain of Incense. And okay. I think that was one of the objections that uh, I addressed. Most, um, uh, most heretics and schismatics are not formally condemned by the church. And um, but the general rule is that one way or another, you don't put the um, you don't put their their you don't commemorate them in the most solemn part of the mass. But uh, it's it's a I uh, believe in that article, and you can find it on traditionalmass.org. Um, okay. It's uh, uh, called a grain of incense, and uh, I do explore that because that question has been asked. It's a good question. I would say I would add something to that too, and that is that if you're going by pure legality, then you must accept the new mass, then you must accept Vatican II, you must accept everything that has come down from modernist Rome, because none of that is condemned by any 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 entity. You see, you would say, well, if we, we're just going to accept what is legal, well, then you become a modernist and blow up your balloons. Because uh, you know, you're saying Vatican, the traditionalists are saying Vatican II is wrong, the new mass is wrong, it's a sin, it's it's heresy. Why then does he not apply that to the promulgator of these things? Why do we wait for a a legal declaration when we have not waited for a legal declaration in making a decision not to go to the new mass and in rejecting a, a general council of the Catholic Church uh, sure. by all intents and purposes? See, so it, it doesn't make any sense to hold out for that. Uh, I always use the example, if the, if the person next door to you were uh, a child molester and a known child molester and child murderer, uh, would you say, well, he hasn't been condemned by a court of law, so therefore I'll send my children over to play? Of course not. You would never do that. The, the, the condemnation in law comes after the verification of the fact and usually lags behind the verification of the fact. And it is only possible to, for someone to be condemned in court because people have already verified the fact in their mind. They're already thinking it and acting upon it. Well, and when, then this will never be, in a sense, it will never be resolved because you, with, you have modernist cardinals electing the quote-unquote future pontiff or in Francis and... You have modernists condoning the modernist pope. This will just be one happy cycle until when? <laughs> until God inspires one of these people to repudiate Vatican II, or in some way in which, somehow or other, in which Vatican II is repudiated. It's the only way out of this problem. Yeah, and, and we, we don't. We know. don't. We don't know the future. Uh, we don't. One thing I would like to um, uh, would in fact uh, uh, like to mention. Thank you for your question and thank you for the, the citation. By the way, to the Times, 
that yes, indeed, it is correct that I have uh, Times New York Times article, um, uh, and it says with simple actions and dress, the new pope shifts the tone at the Vatican, and then we find um, all the way down. Uh, for an audience that he will hold with the cardinals on Friday, the Pope instructed them to wear plain black cassocks and not red with white lace surplices. Mm. So uh, apparently he's going to fool around with that too. But that does have something to do with Lent, though. I mean, you know, because uh, I, I don't know what the Novus Ordo does with the Lent. And I mean, is that the penitential robes that? Uh, no, they. I think they just have one outfit. Yeah, okay. uh, they, 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 uh, even under the um, uh, old rules, they allowed you, uh, you know, some uh, wiggle room as far as having a, a, a penitential uh, pontifical outfit. But uh, no, this is—it's. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear the reason for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's got to be something uh, that's tied up with the um, uh, this. Uh, Hamming around about humility, uh, you know. This, now, this, uh, how many idea. of them own black cassocks? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Unless he's saying wear your habitum pianum or something, you know. Maybe he means that. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, and it is the got, New York Times. We've gotten so. some feedback from uh, a couple of our listeners that uh, okay. Per- perhaps we've been joking too much, and we've been inviting some some jokey callers. Uh, so. <laughs> What do you think, Your Excellency? Are we taking Are we taking Francis too lightly? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, the uh, it is humorous to a certain extent. Uh, balloons and and I mean he has made himself absurd. Uh, ecumenism is absurd, and uh, also you know you have to look at the light side of some of these things because it, it is so serious. If you think about it too much, you might go crazy. It's uh, it's. In- Incongruous, yeah, and that's where, um, uh, you know, that's where humor comes in sometimes. Yeah. But it 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 does have a uh, obviously it's uh, the underlying issues are all serious issues. Yes, but um, you know, even in a place for, uh, even in standard uh, religious argumentation and discourse, there's there is a. Um, uh, there is a place for humor. He even found it in, in the uh, the man in the gospel the other day who was born blind, and the uh, Pharisees were you know pressing him about you know this is so bad that this man uh, cured you by mixing uh, mud and spittle on the Sabbath, and uh, you know who is he? And finally he got tired of it and he said what. Do you want to go and become a disciple of his? <laughs> yes. You know, and uh, sometimes something like that is, uh, uh, you know, is, is an effective, uh, an effective answer. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't well, think he uh, deserves to be taken seriously. Uh, he would only deserve to be taken seriously if he professes the Catholic faith. I, I I think your points are well taken. I, I think for for those listeners who haven't listened to our our show before, um, Father Father Chicada and Bishop Sanborn are not only intelligent but uh, they they do enjoy laughter as as any good Catholic does. Uh, and so um, while I don't think that our levity has been the contributor of the trolling calls, um, 
I think that this is a very popular topic, and we're getting a lot of listeners tonight. Um, and we have had on previous shows, we have non-Catholic listeners and some no disorder listeners, and um, we're going to get uh, some interference sometimes. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, you're listening to Restoration Radio. Um, our show today is on the new uh, claimant to the Vatican II Papacy, uh, Francis. Um, Habemus Papam is the title of our show. And I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, who is Rector of the Seminary, uh, Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, who um, works up at St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Ohio, where it's a little colder than it was uh, here earlier for you today in Florida. Right, Father? Just a bet. Well, I want to... I wanna, we do have some more calls on in queue, but I, I want to make sure that we we get to some of the other other things. We've, we've sort of taken a break. There was an art exhibit um, while uh, Jorge Barolio was a cardinal, and um, it was a pretty pretty shocking um, art exhibit. Um, Your Excellency, I think you came across this bit of news, did you not? Yes, uh, I forget the name of the artist, uh, but uh, it was uh, absolutely horrid, the things that this uh, showing Our Lady with cockroaches and uh, showing uh, crucifixes coming out of a toaster and uh, things that were just just incredibly um, sacrilegious. And the uh, reaction... Of uh, of Mr. B, as I call him, was one of uh, well, we shouldn't uh, uh, you know be too quick to condemn this, and uh, uh, you know we should be patient with it, and uh, you know it, it was something that cried to heaven for vengeance, and his reaction to it was was very very mild, which uh, I think is is very revealing, um, and uh, you know just. Uh, some things have to have you have to express real anger at. Yes. And that certainly was uh something at least certainly what I've read of it that would would have called for real anger and, and denunciation and uh call of the Catholics to outrage but he wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean along that same line of a mild response to a shocking art exhibit um and uh Nova sort of watch let us know it's Leon Ferrari who was the name of that quote-unquote artist. Um, part of that meekness also is part of the culture of apology of JP2, and under Bergoglio, the Argentinian bishops issued a collective apology in October 2012 for the church's quote-unquote failures to protect its flock during the military junta uh, regime, during which time Bergoglio was ahead of the Jesuits in Argentina. Uh, what do we... And Father, how do we look at these apologies, you know, apologies for the Inquisition, apologies for um, discovering America? How how should Catholics look at those sorts of actions? Just part of the general dismantling of Catholicism. It's a sort of a nice way, you might say, of repudiating the Church's very character and essence because those things that they're apologizing for are part of the Church's essence and flow directly from it. Uh, They want to repudiate the pre-Vatican II religion, so they they apologize. Oh, how could we have done such a thing? You know, something in our youth, that you know, our crazy youth that we did. They see the pre-Vatican II Church as sort of like the Old Testament, and that the Church went through this 
tremendous change, or of course it did. Uh, I mean, at least the modernists imposed it upon Catholic institutions. And so they they somehow have to deal with this 2,000 years of contradiction of what they're doing, and, and so that's the, one of the ways in which they do it. Yes, and, and the, the continual contradiction and, and uh, you know downgrading of things. Uh, we talk about uh, the uh, his uh, Francis's uh, program. It seems of downgrading the papacy, and uh, I just noticed on Rorate Chile that the instruction has been sent out. Yeah, the Apostolic Nuncio in Argentina said that the. Uh, sent out an instruction to people there saying that uh, the Holy Father has asked me to transmit to all bishops, priests, religious men and women, and to all the people of God, uh, his, that's the Novus Ordo term, his uh, cherished recognition for the prayers and expressions of warmth, affection, and charity that he has received. At the same time, he would wish that instead of going to Rome for the beginning of his pontificate, you may keep the spiritual closeness that is so much appreciated by accompanying it with some uh, gesture of charity toward the neediest. In other words, this I see as another type of downgrading. Normally, uh, if the Catholic Church has a pope, that's something that people want to celebrate. Uh, but, no, this guy, the humility ham, is telling them that, well, no, you can't do that, that um, uh, uh, you have to uh, give your money away to someone else. And it's it's this uh, sort of grandstanding, and at the same time uh, running down the importance of the papal office. Yes. Yes, like to the this morning, uh, the going to the hotel and paying his bill uh, and getting his baggage. A truly humble man would have had followed the normal customs of an elected pope, and uh, had, had would have done nothing to disturb what is what was common to to pope, for popes to do, and, and what was the, due to their their dignity. But that was a, a, a media stunt, uh, and of course the media picked up on it. And so he's wearing his humility like an armband. You know, look at me, I'm so humble, uh, which of course is a contradiction. But uh, he could have easily said to some Monsignor, go pay the bill and get my bags, which would have been the proper thing to do. But One of, but one it, of the things that, that one of the fundamentals you're uh, taught, the spiritual life and, and the religious life, which he would have known as a Jesuit, is that uh, your true humility consists in following the program, doing what's expected of you, doing what you're told, and not standing out. Yes, and that's that's part of the assess, uh, essence of it. And this grandstanding is uh, exactly the opposite of it. It's it's um, uh, you know media stunts. The idea that uh, uh, we were joking earlier about the retirees bus, but uh, this morning. <laughs> Or, or after the election, he tells the cardinals he's going to ride the bus with them back after he's elected to the Casa San Marta. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and the, the showiness of something like this, they're telling the people that, well, you know, I want um, I want you to bless me. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's all it's it's uh, the wrong thing. There's something there, there's something that is. Uh, directly contrary to basic spiritual principles there. And unfortunately, people fall for it. 
as uh, they're, they're supposed to. One of the things that there's this French traditionalist priest who is not well known in America. Uh, when uh, I was over in, in Switzerland in the Pius X Society, and I re- his name was the Abbe Georges Denant, and he had a very good line about Paul VI, who used to occasionally pull stunts like this. He said that the problem with Paul VI is that he did not have the humility of his glory. In other words, he uh, tried to show off how humble he was by uh, putting aside the uh, different symbols of the papal office when he should have been just humble enough to go along with it. Yes, humility is self-forgetfulness. That's the definition of it. And you try to blend in as much as you can. Yes. All right. Well, we will, uh, we've got a few more minutes left, and we're going to go back to the calls for our last caller, and then we'll take a question from Twitter, and then I think we'll have to let our clergy get a good night's sleep. Um, they've certainly had a, a long work day. Um, John from New York, I think you have a question on an older article of Father Jakarta's regarding, is it Episcopal consecration? Yes, thank you. Father Jakarta, uh, you mentioned earlier this evening that you consider Francis's orders doubtful. But going back to your article, you seem pretty certain then that the new consecration right was invalid. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit well, confused it, now. It's, it's, a, it's at least doubtful. When you talk about the uh, new right for priestly ordination, uh, in the Latin there's one word missing. So one can make an argument possibly that it's it's doubtful, but when it comes to the new right of episcopal consecration, no, it is uh, it is invalid. There's no question about it because the, uh, if if I said something else, I probably misspoke, and, and it should be clear from the article because what uh, was done was a substantial change of the meaning of the form uh, for consecration, or one of the elements is, is 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 missing. So I would say that it's it's definitely invalid. All right, thank you, Father. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, John. Um, thank you. And we've got a, a question from Twitter, um, and it's referring to, Your Excellency, Father, did you have a chance to look at the the text of the Urbi at Orbi blessing uh, given to all people of goodwill? No, we missed that one. At least I did. Well, we've got the text of it here, so I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Um uh, and now I would like to give the blessing, but first I ask a favor of you. Before the bishop, again, there's a reference. Before the bishop blesses his people, I ask you to pray to the Lord that he will bless me, the prayer of the people asking the blessing for their bishop. Let us make in silence this prayer, your prayer over me. Now I will give the blessing to you and to the whole world, to all men and women of goodwill. Um do you, have, do you have any reflections on that, Your Excellency, or Father? Well, you have the Bishop of Rome business, and and uh, the, you know your bishop. This is language that has never been seen before. Uh, so we have that diminution of the papacy in that. Uh, also, it's a it's another display of a false humility. Uh, uh, it's a, you know, more of the same, and uh, really, that's all it is. Um, 
For those of you who are just joining us, we're at the tail end of our show. Uh, this is Restoration Radio. Our show tonight is Habemus Popham, um, a uh, take on Francis, the first, uh, the, the claimant to the post, the latest claimant to the post-Vatican II line of uh, claimants to the, the Novus Ordo Papacy. Our guests have been uh, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. Um, we're getting close to the end of our show, Your Excellency and Father. Any any final thoughts on what what this uh, election means and what opportunities can be brought forward for um, traditional Catholics, Novus Ordo Catholics, non-Catholics, uh, observers uh, of the Catholic Church? Boy, talk about an open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it's an opportunity. His, his, uh, what you see with him, with with Francis, is you see uh, what you could call heteropraxis. In other words, or uh, that, or, uh, or uh, that his, uh, he he uh, his his lack of orthodoxy is uh, primarily manifested in his actions, and and what he, in other words, he. Um, uh, shows that he adheres very much to the principles of Vatican II, and he puts them into practice, and has consistently done that across the board. And I think that uh, being able to see that as as clearly as um, uh, he uh, seems in his actions to uh, communicate that to everyone is uh, an important stepping stone to get people to realize really the problems ultimately of Vatican II. It's 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 he sort of concretizes the problems of Vatican II uh with the actions that uh, we've discussed here with regard to ecumenism, uh, you know, religious liberty, the um uh, uh understanding of the papacy, the sacred liturgy and so on. Uh his actions sum up the problems and I think that that's a it's good that something like that should be made clear. Yes, uh, with with Ratzinger, and Ratzinger was a radical leftist from the point of view of theology, but in order to point that out, we had to delve into his very obscure books and 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 recite all of these long quotes to people to show just where he was and is theologically, because uh, his Praxis, that is, is the practical order, was one of a, uh, a Novus Ordo conservative uh, who was interested in the traditional mass, and and uh, as I said before, wore a lot of the uh, accoutrements of the of the of tradition. Uh, so uh, you know, even though he was a, a very very um, strong leftist radical. Uh, in theology, uh, it was very hard to point that out to people because most people can't understand what he says, uh, and you need an awful lot of theological background to understand it. And secondly, uh, are not interested in hearing all of that stuff. They, they, but a single balloon says so much to any average Catholic that that has any sense of the sacred and, and any love of the sacred liturgy. Uh, just one balloon will do it. Um, uh, or you know one ecumenical act kneeling down in front of Protestants that that says so much that 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 you know is much more indicative uh, of what's going on. 
you know, so I, that's I, a big I, change, then that's something to quote unquote look forward to, in the sense that that that's you're, you're going to see, in my opinion, a lot of shocking things out of this man. Uh, I guess stay tuned is the uh, is the watchword there. Yes, I mean we're it. only forty eight hours or thir- not even uh, just a, you know less than a few days into this, and look what's happening already. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, for uh, for those of you who didn't know, our show tonight has been sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Uh, and if you don't know about the website, it's been a great place to get information before the conclave, after the conclave, and, and pretty much for everything. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting the new religion with the true religion the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why the new Pope is not a true Pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. The show is also underwritten by True Restoration. Uh, You can find our work at TrueRestorationMedia.com, and you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash TrueRestorationMedia. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash true restoration and on YouTube where you can see videos of Father Chicada and soon, hopefully, upcoming some videos of His Excellency uh, Bishop Sanborn. Uh, and that's at uh, youtube.com forward slash true restoration. Um, as I said, our guests um, tonight who have very generously given of a lot of their time um, and uh, we thank them for that. Um, Bishop Donald Sanborn is Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and if you'd like to thank His Excellency for his time, um, make sure that you uh, send a note down to him. He's at 1000 Spring Lake Highway. That's 1000 Spring Lake Highway, and that's in Brooksville, Florida. Um, and uh, you can send him anything you'd like. The zip code is 34602. If you don't have the funds to uh, to send him a contribution, at least uh, send him a note thanking him for his time. Um, Father Chikata, you can find at his new website, sggresources.org, where you'll find all sorts of uh, interesting apostolates that St. Gertrude is involved in, including Father's, uh, Father's book, um, Work of Human Hands. If you'd like to write to Father, uh, you can do so at 4900 Rialto Road, R-I-A-L-T-O Road, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. Um, please make sure you thank our clergy. We we have a very great benefit, and I never take it for granted, and I, I hope none of our listeners do either, that we have access to uh, Catholic, truly Catholic clergy to give truly Catholic commentary on non-Catholics. And um, please help support our apostolate, uh, again, with your prayers, um, with your letters of support, and, if possible, your financial donations. Um, your Excellency, um, Father, thanks so much for your time. I, we, I know we've had, I've asked a lot of you today, and, again, as I said, I don't take it for granted. So thanks for sharing your, your wisdom and your insight. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, we'll close with uh, a, a song of a bygone era, uh, from from when we had from when we had true pups occupying the Vatican uh two ace pictures.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.